Thank you for downloading the Grove City Vineyard Sermon Podcast. Enjoy today's message. Good morning, church. Thanks. Hey, I want to start just by thanking all of you for your prayers and loving support during my recent surgery. I'm doing great. Yeah. Thank you so much. Feel good. Feel good. And uh, you guys have just been so, so helpful and loving and I appreciate it very much. I'm so grateful to be a part of this church. You know, it's hard to appreciate what a great place this is until you have a need, right? <laughs> right? And uh, so uh, really, really, I'm so grateful for all the love and support and prayers and food. There's still time, by the way. I'm still, I said about a three-month recovery, so, you know, you still got plenty of time to bring that macaroni and cheese, uh, meatballs, fried chicken, stuff like that, you know. Use your imagination. So great to be a part of this church. Operation Christmas Child, record number of boxes, oh my gosh, and then a team that went to Chicago, right, last weekend, the Regional Distribution Center to be a part of that, and that's just fantastic. You guys are just so generous. Uh, the, tomorrow I'll be joined by, I think, six other of the brothers from the church here. We'll be taking 2,222 inmate packages to the correctional facility in Pickaway County. Wow, that's just so cool. You guys did all that. That's just, uh, it's just, uh, it's just a great place to be. You know, it's just a great place to be. Appreciate that. I need to ask for a favor, if I may. Okay. My favor is that since I've been down for a few weeks here, uh, I have 3,019 unanswered emails. I get a lot of emails. And so, and texts, I haven't, there's some that I haven't responded to too. And so, could I ask this favor? Could we just draw a line in the sand today and I can go home this afternoon and press select all and say, is that all right? So if, it, I just don't see myself ever catching up unless we do something like that. So if we could do that, that would be a big help to me. And so if, you, if you're waiting on something from me, if you could do that again, and we, can, we can start again a little stronger this week. That would be real good. Well, you know, you share this planet with seven and a half billion other people. That's a lot of people, right? And when you think about the numbers, think about the math of that, it might, might cause you to feel tempted to feel kind of insignificant, kind of unimportant. You know, it's like, wow, I'm one person out of so many. I, I, I just feel so insignificant. And I just, I just got good news for you. The Bible has something very clear to say about that that I want to share with you this morning, okay? Let's pray. Father, we invite your presence, your power to come in as you have in our worship and come now in equal power and in the word, Father, and just meet us where we live. God, I'm just so thankful for this church. I'm thankful for this group of people that you have called to this corner to call this place home and, and to find their way in relationship and worship and service and all the things. And thank you for the, just the great caring place that this is. And, and I just pray your blessing. Now, Father, as we look into your word, that your power will come on it and you'll give us eyes that see and hearts 
that feel and ears that hear, Lord, so that we can leave this place different than when we got out of bed this morning, Father. We invite you now to come in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is a season of the year that we call Advent, and the word Advent means coming, and Advent is a season of the year that the church celebrates right before Christmas, leading up to Christmas every year, because it's meant to celebrate, just purposefully, in a focused way, celebrate the first coming of Jesus Christ into the world. And so we call this season Advent. I, I love the season of Advent for so many reasons. Uh, one of the reasons is that because in so many ways, our hearts are in a similar place as a people. You know, all year long, we're kind of scattered out this direction, that direction. But when it comes around even culturally, just as a society, to the Advent season, to the Christmas season, our hearts tend to, tend to come to a similar place. And I love that, that I can, I can speak to a group who's in a, similar, in a similar place. But the other thing I really love about Advent is that the whole church, capital C, is in the same place. You know, I just love it that right now we at the Vineyard are in a very significant way joining with Methodists and Baptists and Presbyterians and Lutherans and Pentecostals and Catholics, and, and we're just saying, let's walk through this season to, together. And I, man, don't you just love it when the church is on the same page? Hello? I love that. And I love to be connected with the rest of the church in this way because there's power in that. There's power when the church agrees together. Jesus said, if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it'll be done for you by my Father in heaven. Now, I think if that's true, imagine when the church agrees together, right? So this is a great season for you to be sharing your faith, for you to be out there telling people about Jesus and what he's done for you and, and who he is to you, what he means to you, because there's power in this season every year with so many believers connected in the same way. I mean, we're, we're looking at a lot of the same scriptures, we're singing a lot of the same songs, we're hearing similar messages, and we have our various expressions. And this is, this is why one of the reasons we do this Advent wreath every year is because each candle just gives us a way of moving closer and closer to a full celebration of Jesus. And and, and the whole season of Advent is a season of drawing near, isn't it? I mean, we draw near to each other. There's, there's just a fondness, isn't there? There's, isn't there? Don't you just feel a fondness in this season, an affection toward the important people in your life? You sort of like give yourself permission to do that, and you draw near. But we also draw near to the Lord, don't we? And people, even out, out in the world who maybe you know, aren't walking such a visible walk with the Lord. There's something about this Christmas time that causes them to stop and, and just give consideration to the value and the power of the Lord Jesus in their lives. So it's just a time of drawing near. And so as we move through this Advent season together and light these candles, it's my intention to carry you through these last two messages today and next week in the Advent season. And each week we've lit a, a different candle and uh, Christian has carried us through this far, and the first week was just celebrated. You know, the, the, the Bible in Isaiah chapter 9 says that Jesus is a wonderful counselor. He's a wonderful counselor and that he rescues us. We're focusing on the rescuing work of Jesus coming into the world, how he rescued us, and, and how he rescues us from confusion because he's, he's a counselor, and how he rescues us from that propensity that we have to counsel ourselves 
which often results in bad counsel, right? And he's outside of us and bringing the power of his word in the context of his Holy Spirit and giving us counsel in times of need. And then last week, Christian just talked about him being mighty God, right? He comes to rescue us in our weakness, rescue us in our times of need. When we're not strong enough to manage the situation ourselves, the Lord comes to rescue us from that weakness and he comes as mighty God. And today we're going to look at this third candle, which is the pink candle, and it's often called the, the Annunciation candle, because it really honors and celebrates the announcement of the angel Gabriel coming and telling Mary, that's why it's pink, Mary, that she was going to be the one to bring the Christ child into the world. And so it's called the, the Annunciation candle. And uh, it centers around a passage of scripture in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, which is what we'll be looking at this morning. If you have your Bibles or your devices and want to dial that up, we'll be looking at that uh, together. But uh, there are so many great themes that come out of this passage when the angel came and told Mary she was going to bear the Christ child. So, so many takeaways. You could just look at that again and again and go, oh yeah, and yeah, and yeah, and yeah. And uh, it's just been a part of the church to celebrate this for so long. There's a famous painting by Hans Memling from 1482 that is a painting of his depiction of, of the announcement of the coming of the angel Gabriel to Mary. And this was his, his concept of it. Now, when you look at it, it probably wasn't like that, right, back in the day, right? Because that would be so anachronistic. There's stuff in that picture that didn't exist when, when it actually happened. And it's so Europeanized, right? I mean, they're just so white, aren't they? Hello? And, and it just wouldn't have looked anything like that, really. But it was his contemporary depiction of the coming of of the angel Gabriel to announce this. You know what I love most about this is that it was painted in 1482. That 10 years before Columbus sailed the ocean blue. 10 years, the, the world was still flat. 10 years before that even happened, people were celebrating the announcement of Jesus Christ coming into the world. And you see, so Advent excites me not only because it, it connects us to what the capital C church is doing now, but it connects us historically. That, that the church, and that was, that was 15 centuries already of, of celebrating this. So that we're not just, you know, we're not making this up as we go along is what I'm saying. We're connected to generation upon generation of people who have received the gospel, received the Holy Spirit, and passed it on to the next generation, which is what we're doing now, yes? Yeah. And I love that about Advent, is that we're connected to the historic church. This has been celebrated in so many, many different ways. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38 is the the passage for today. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Now, contextually, the sixth month, if you just look at the passage before it, Mary's cousin Elizabeth was told by an angel that she was going to bear John the Baptist into the world. And so, and she was an older woman, far past childbearing age, but she was used also miraculously to bring, through, through you know, the 
communion with her husband, but not in an immaculate way, but in a miraculous way nonetheless, um, to, to bring John the Baptist. And so when it says in the sixth month, it's talking about in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Well, duh, right? I mean, who among us would not be like, yikes, right? I'm, I'm looking at an angel here. This is not a normal day. And so, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Now, that's the first thing you want to hear out of an angel's mouth, isn't it, right? You've found favor with God. You will be with, and here's the favor. You will be with child. This unmarried teenager is just told, hey, here's, here's the favor you found with God. You're pregnant. This is trouble, right? She's living in a society where such women were stoned. And you will give birth to a son, and you're given to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and would be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Amen, church? Yeah. yeah. Logical question, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Good question. There are a couple different words in the, in the original language to use for virgin, and one was kind of a common term that just talked about younger women, virgin. But there was another word that talked about not only younger women, but women who had not been intimately engaged with a man. I mean, we just leave it at that, right? So they were a virgin in that sense. And so like one was a virgin, and the other one was like a virgin, you know what I mean? And, it, it, and it's the second one that was used here, that Mary was a virgin. Okay, you get it? It's kind of like, how many of you are Buckeyes? O-H. Okay, everybody who just said I.O. is a Buckeye, okay? But are you a Chase Young Buckeye? No, you're not. You're not playing, right? I'm not saying are you all about him. Yeah, great. But, but you're a Buckeye, but you're not a Buckeye, right? You don't put the pads on. You don't get to wear the jersey. You don't play. So there's a Buckeye, and then there's a Buckeye. You tracking with me? Say yes, or we'll start again. Okay, so in the same way, there were two words. There was a virgin and there was a virgin. And Mary was a virgin. Okay? She said, how shall it be since I am a virgin? <laughs> Logical question. The angel answered, you shouldn't keep me away from preaching for two weeks. It all just sort of builds up, right? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And she's like, oh, what? And then there's rationale. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. Amen. <laughs> Say that, church. For nothing is impossible with God. One more time. For nothing is impossible with God. And then I love her response. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to you, may, may, may it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. 
Man, there are so many takeaways here. There's certainly the validity and the importance of the virgin birth as part of, of what we believe. Um, but I think, so many, so many takeaways, but I think where I'd really like for us to focus for a few minutes is, is I just want you to notice how in the, in the context of all this, Mary was rescued from obscurity. Here she is, this obscure teenager, and God chose her to accomplish this great, great thing. I don't know how they know this. Scientists tell us. I don't know. It, I, it was on the internet, so it must be true. But um, <laughs> the population of the earth at the time of Jesus' birth was somewhere around 300 million people. So out of 300 million people, there's this obscure girl living in Nazareth, which is like a way off the path town, obscure town. And God rescues her from that obscurity and uses her in such a powerful way. And the Christmas story is all about that, isn't it? It's, it was Jesus' way to come in and, and, and invade obscurity. He'd come in and, I mean, the people he called, they weren't the, sort of the famous people, the bright people. It seems like everything about Jesus is coming to rescue from obscurity. If uh, one of the passages that I love so much is in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, that's a passage also connected with today's uh, Advent celebration. And it says, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small, you know Bethlehem? Ring a bell? A little town of? Okay. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come from me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And so Jesus is all about sort of invading obscurity. And in reality, then, he's about rescuing us from our obscurity, isn't it? Isn't he? I mean, yeah, it's true. We're one of seven and a half billion people currently on the planet. I mean, here you are. You're, you're part of a medium-sized church in a medium-sized town and with a pastor who's not famous, who's never going to be famous. And, you know, you're, you're living this life and you're not famous. And so there's this sense that maybe I don't matter. Maybe, maybe I'm not important. Maybe I'm not significant. And Jesus comes and breaks through that because the Bible's filled with examples of how God delights in using the obscure to accomplish his great purposes. There was this idol worshiper named Abram. And there was this boy, shepherd boy named David. And they were just insignificant, obscure. And God, God just kicked the door down on their obscurity and said, come on, you're coming with me. There's this terrified servant named Gideon and this unsuspecting girl named Esther, right? And they're just kind of doing their thing. And God said, come on. He plucked them out of their obscurity and says, you're coming with me. There's a fisherman named Peter. <laughs> there was a tax collector called Levi. And they were just, they were just nobodies. By the world's standards, God says, let's go. I've got plans for you. I'll, I'll make you fishers of men. There was a thief on a cross. There was a terrorist named Saul. A terrorist. And God said, that's not too much for me. Come on. Come on. I mean, Saul was not only not famous, he was infamous. He was dangerous. And God said, I've got plans for you. And he just pulled them out of their obscurity and used them for his glory. And now we have this 
15-year-old, maybe, maybe this 15-year-old obscure Jewish girl in this little town. And God says, perfect. Just the person that I was looking for. And God rescues us from our obscurity. It's, it's, it's part of the whole Christian experience. Did anybody get to the back of this book yet? 1 Peter chapter 2, not all the way to the back. That last one's terrifying. 1 Peter chapter 2, it really isn't, I shouldn't make that joke because it's a beautiful, beautiful book. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you're a chosen people. What? This is, when the Bible says you are something, it's talking about identity. It's talking about the essential nature of who we are. But you're a chosen people. Yeah, you're sharing it with seven and a half billion people, but guess what? God picked you. You're part of a chosen people. Hello? Chosen people, a royal priesthood. What? Why do we need a priesthood? We don't need a priesthood. I don't need a priest. You don't need a priest. The Bible says that Jesus is our priest. The Bible says there's one mediator between man and God, and that's the man Jesus Christ. So we don't need a priest to help us get to God. We go in Jesus' name. I am not your priest. Lucky for you. <laughs> you don't need a priest. But we are a royal priesthood to the world. We're a royal priest. We're bearing God to the world, to the unsaved world. In that respect, we're a royal priesthood. This is who you are. A holy nation. We're being made holy by the blood of Jesus a people belonging to God, you're his. Why? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That the purpose of your salvation is to worship God. The purpose of your salvation is that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Come on, church. That's what we're praying. That's what we're called for. We're called to praise him. We're called to praise him. It gets better. Once you were not a people, it's, it says it right here, you were obscure. You were part of the seven and a half billion, just invisible. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Catch the last phrase. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You see, because you received God's gracious invitation of mercy through his son, Jesus Christ, you're now a people. You're now, your significance has blossomed. It's completely changed. You're not obscure anymore. This is the message of the gospel. And Jesus came to rescue you from your obscurity, from your sense of lack of significance, lack of importance. Lack of value. What do we mean by being rescued from obscurity? I think it means, for one thing, you will realize your divine purpose. It'll just dawn on you. God is using me. You know, God is using me. You know, it, it, it might be at work, it might be at home, it might be at church, it might be on the phone, it might be on Facebook, it might be, who knows where it'll be, but God is using me. And you realize that you, you have a specific purpose. You have a realm of influence. 
And when you get that realization that you have a divine purpose as equally important and valuable as anybody else who's ever lived, then your sense of significance overcomes your sense of obscurity. Does that make sense? It also means you have an understanding of your true significance. I mean, a lot of times in, in our world, we, we measure, kind of rate our significance by our production. And we kind of think of, well, this is my job. This is what I do when I go to work. And it, it defines my significance. Now, I hope everybody has a significant job. I hope, I hope everybody in here finds their way in their lifetime to a work that you find significant. But that's not your true significance, is it? Because if you stop doing that job, there are nine other people who will do it instead of you, right? But that's not how it is with God. The Bible says you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for you to do. That God has a plan for you. And it's your plan. It's your spot. And it's your true significance. And I think also by... um, by being rescued from obscurity, we have an awareness of our eternal importance. Not self-importance. No, look at how important I am. Not at all. It's quite the reverse, isn't it? It's like, look at how important God is. But, but look how I'm caught up in his plan, and I have significance, and I have a sense, I have a healthy sense of the importance of my life. That's what we mean by being rescued from obscurity. I'm not talking about being famous necessarily because there can be a big difference between fame and significance, yes? A big difference. I'm not saying that by being rescued from obscurity you will become famous. It's not at all necessary to become famous in order to find your significance. In fact, if you think about it, you can probably think of plenty of people who became famous for an insignificant reason, right? <laughs> they became famous, but it's like, is that, your, is that really the true significance of your life? And we're not going to judge them because we don't know what they do in their private life, but, but we tend to elevate people because they're famous even though they're relatively insignificant in that respect. I would rather be unfamous and significant, wouldn't you? <laughs> and there's such... There's such a big difference. Many of you will recognize the picture of the man on the left, won't you? Who is that? That's Billy Graham. Many years ago, he lived to be almost 100. He he preached to countless millions of people. He preached the gospel. People People came to Christ because of his life, and he's well known for it. Did anybody here come to Christ through Billy Graham, Uh, like a crusade or one? We had two in the first service, two. This is awesome. You came to Christ because of that guy. Because he was faithful to the call of God on his life. And he preached the gospel in a space where it was your turn, right? And you were chosen. And God called you into the light so that you can declare his praises. And he's famous because of that. So Billy Graham is both, was both famous and significant. Does anybody know who the guy on the right is? Not entirely. Not his father. Mordecai Ham. 
is his name. Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham was the one who, in his faithful obedience, was preaching a series of revival services near where Billy Graham lived on a dairy farm when he was 16 years old, and he went to that revival service, and he gave his life to Christ. Now, he's not famous, but is he significant? Very significant. You have a similar significance. You have somebody you're impacting in that way. You have a significance. God has a plan for you to be significant in the world, rescued from obscurity. Would you like to be rescued from obscurity? Delivered into your significance? Three things. Number one, attend to your personal prayer life. Attend to your personal prayer life. Do not neglect your time in the word and in prayer. It will look different on each of us. Don't copy somebody else. Find your space with God. The way you seek him in the word, the way you pray. There is no substitute for this. Find your space with God. Find your space with the Lord. And attend to it every day. It's, it needs to become an inviolable appointment. I mean, if you made an appointment with the dentist and, and you would never think of canceling if it were closer than 24 hours, right? Because you'd be charged. But we make these appointments with God. Going, yeah, I guess I can't get to that today. I want you to think of it as an inviolable appointment. If you want to find your significance, attend to your personal prayer life. Look at how that looks on you. And then number two, seek to know, seek to know your sense of gifting and your sense of call. God has gifted each one of us uniquely according to his plan. He's given us everything that we need to fulfill his call. God isn't going to call us to something that he doesn't equip us to fulfill. But it looks different on each one of us, and it's unique to you. There's a great mistake that happens in the contemporary church, and that is that people look at somebody who appears to have it going on with God, and they try to copy that person. Don't, and in copying that person, they miss being themselves. Come on, people. You don't want to be a carbon copy of anybody. If there's something about that person's life that you find in principle is worth adapting into your life, their prayer life, their worship, their level of sacrifice, whatever it is that strikes you of going, yeah, that, that I want in my life, that's good, but bring it into your life, put it in your clothes, in your context, and make it happen your way. And don't measure yourself by comparing yourself to somebody else. You have a call. God has put you in a unique set of circumstances. You can reach people that no one else can reach because of how he's positioned you in your family, in your neighborhood, in your place of work, in your church. So in addition to just praying, saying, God, I'm just going to seek you every day. As you grow in your awareness of what your gifting is and your sense of call, the third thing to do is just do whatever God says. Just do whatever he says. And he'll say some crazy things sometimes. He'll say, I want you to go plant a church on the west side of Columbus. <laughs> Lord, have you met those people over there? <laughs> Hello? Just do whatever he says. The, the big things and the small things. Just do whatever he says. 
I love Mary's response at the end of this passage when she gets this big download from the Lord, this angel, and says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. That's, that's the key, isn't it? What did she say? Okay, I'm in. In spite of the risks, in spite of everything, in spite of my confusion still about the whole thing, I'm in. Because of that, her significance, she was rescued from obscurity. Eleven chapters later in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is strolling along and people are saying, hey, Jesus, you're so cool. And, and they're yelling these things out. And then somebody said, somebody said, oh, hey, Jesus, blessed is the one who gave you birth and nursed you. He's like, in other words, like, your mom rocks, you know. And Jesus stopped. And he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. In other words, he's saying, don't make something special about Mary. She's special. She found her significance because she said, I'm the Lord's servant. She obeyed. And he said, the exact same opportunity is presented to you as you obey God. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So many takeaways from this. You know, there's such a great pleasure in enjoying our significance and letting God just bless you with a sense of your significance in the world and in his plan. I'm not talking about self-importance at all. I'm not talking about you sitting around thinking about how important you are. <laughs> you know that's not what I mean. But that's different than appreciate, letting God cause you to appreciate how significant you are. Last Sunday night was so cool with the children's program here. I snuck in the back. I had my collar, my neck collar on. I was like Frankenstein, you know, walking. I snuck in the back shortly after the program started and left when it went, just when it ended. So if you didn't see me, that's why. I was sitting back there, sitting back there, and I was just enjoying the whole thing. That was the best one ever. I was just watching this thing happen. And when those kids came up, and when they lifted up those signs that spelled hallelujah, and the lights came on on their signs. I had chills down my spine. I had a worship moment with God. It's like, hallelujah is right. Look at that. And then something occurred to me, and I whispered it over to Karen. And it's not a matter of importance. But I just said to Karen, do you realize that 20 years ago, this was a cornfield? This was a cornfield. Now look at those kids. They weren't even born yet. And I was just overwhelmed with a sense, not of my importance at all. I didn't do this. But of my significance. And I got there. How would I get there? By tending to my prayer life. Right? By focusing on my gifting, my sense of call, and not try to copy other pastors. Right? by just doing what he said. That's the path to significance. It's likely that none of us here will ever be famous. I mean, God bless you if you are, but probably not. But would you do something for me for a moment? Would you, would you just think for a minute about famous people in your life that you just kind of appreciate, you know? Maybe they're athletes, maybe they're 
entertainers or, or, or you know, maybe they're musicians, you know, just famous people, well-known. Maybe they're pastors even, and you, you just appreciate their, them. It's okay. I mean, I love to see a guy keep both toes on the ground when he's falling out of the end zone catching the ball. Don't you? I mean, it's like, yes! Of course. Famous people, they have a place of, you know, encouraging us. Sometimes we don't worship them, right? Just people. Just think about them for a minute. And now think about another group of people alongside them. And those would be people who are significant. They're probably not famous. Because you probably don't even know the famous people, do you? They're just famous. But think about the significant people. You know, the people who maybe were your Sunday school class teacher or whatever, or, you know, they're just a neighbor or a coworker, but they just had a significant impact on your life. They were used by God. Not famous, but significant. Now think of one more thing. I want you to think of the people in your life, and I want you to try to, just for a moment, Ponder the people who define your significance. In other words, for whom are you significant? Are they little short people back in the children's ministry classrooms? Are they teenagers in the youth ministry? Are they people in your classroom at school? Work? Still people in your family for whom you have great significance? And just think for a moment about people for whom you're just a significant person and you're not, you're not boasting. But just would you just rejoice and let God just encourage you in your significance? You know, there are 16 girls living in India for whom some of you are rock stars because you write a check for $55 a month and you save their lives. You literally saved their lives and they know Jesus now. That's significant. And there's so many other, many expressions of that in so many other different ways. I just use that as an example. You know, I would do this all over again for those 16 girls. I would do this whole church thing all over again. <laughs> just for them. One of my favorite authors is a guy named John Piper. He wrote a lot of good books, great preacher. He wrote a book called Don't Waste Your Life in 2003. Don't waste your life. Get one. He talked about in part of his book about how easy it is just to sort of slip away from the important stuff and kind of just start muddling through life. And he wrote this. He said, I'm wired by nature to love the same toys that the world loves. I start to fit in. I start to love what others love. I start to call earth home. And before you know it, I'm calling luxuries needs and using my money just the way unbelievers do. I begin to forget the war. I don't think much about people perishing. Missions and unreached people drop out of my mind. I stop dreaming about the triumphs of grace. I sink into a secular mindset that looks first to what man can do, not what God can do. 
It is a terrible sickness. And I thank God for those who have forced me again and again toward a wartime mindset. You know, it just happens, doesn't it? You know, when you're first born again, you're just so on fire. And the only thing that matters, you know, you've got to get work over with in a hurry so you can go home and tell somebody about Jesus. Or you've got to get to work so you can tell somebody about Jesus. It's just, you're just on fire. And then as time goes on, we kind of get our, our Christian act together, you know, and, and things just sort of settle down, don't they? That's the trick of the enemy. It just draws step by step back into taking care of ourselves first and maybe only. But there's another thing that John Piper said after this of change your life. He said, but whatever you do, find the God-centered, Christ-exalting, Bible-saturated passion of your life and find your way to say it and live for it and die for it and you will make a difference that lasts. You will not waste your life. Would you just take a moment to think about that? What part of your life is or could be the God-centered, Christ-exalting, Bible-saturated passion of your life? What really matters to you? Who really matters to you? That's the doorway to your significance. What is it that you're willing to not only live for, but to die for? That's where you want to spend your time. That's where you want to spend your money. That's where you want to spend your talent. Let me close with this. There's a, there was a couple in our church back home named Wayne and Joyce Carncross. You, they weren't famous. Just doing the math by now, it's so long ago, I'm sure they're in heaven with the Lord. But Wayne and Joyce Carncross were just so godly. They just had it going on with the Lord. They were very simple, simple people. But they just really had it going on with the Lord. And here I am, a new Christian, and I'm like, how do you get to be that? How do you, how do you get there? It just seemed like everything they did just had a ring of the pleasure of the Lord. And for our wedding, Karen and I got off to such a rocky start. Oh, my God, help us. Thank God. If that's just the power of the redemptive, testimony of the redemptive power of the Lord. And they gave us a plaque. It's a little decoupage. Remember that? Plaque. Hung on our wall for years. And it, it said this. It said, only one life will soon be passed. And only what's done for Christ will last. Beloved, I, I revisited that plaque so many times on my way in and out of the Lord. <laughs> and that's where you'll find your significance. You'll find your significance in finding that thing that you're giving your life to that will last forever. It's done for Christ. It's done in Christ. It's done by Christ through you. And that's available to every one of you. Jesus came to rescue you from your obscurity, from your invisibility, from your sense of unimportance. And he called you by his cross, by his resurrection, by the power of his Holy Spirit now to take your place in the body of Christ and in the world in such a way that he can 
work his glorious purposes through you. Are you in? Father, we pray now in these moments that you have blessed us with this word, with this incredible example of an ordinary young lady who was used so powerfully by you. And in every way, we admire her. Thank you for this incredible example. And so at this time, Lord, we say, what, what is true about that of us? What, what is true about that of us? What is true about that of me? Come, Lord. Come into this space now and draw us nearer and in a more surrendered, abandoned fashion into the ministries to which you have called us. Thank you again for these people, God, and for the profound privilege it is to serve as their pastor. And I just pray for each of us now, God, that your will be done now in these moments of decision and conversation, response, and worship to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, shall we stand together, please? And could we have some prayer ministry people come over to the sides over here? Make yourself available to pray with people. If you have anything at all you'd like to receive prayer for, that's why they're here. Anything at all? And if there are those of you who are here maybe and you're saying, I'm ready to receive Christ into my life. I'd like to ask Jesus Christ to come into my life. I'd like to become a Christian today. You can come up to any of these people and tell them that. They'll know exactly what to do. They'll know how to pray with you and they'll know They'll know to give you a Bible, and you can leave here with a Bible. And Praise God. We would just love to see that. But just feel free to respond as we sing and receive the prayer. That